Friends, we turn to our scripture lesson for today in the gospel according to Matthew, beginning at the ninth chapter, the 35th verse. Hear now God's word for us this day. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See. I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man 
comes. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. O holy God, continue to speak to us this morning your word of truth and and correction, your word of love and of grace. There are many distractions, many burdens, O Lord, on all of our minds, on all of our hearts. Help us by your grace to set them aside that in these moments we will continue to hear your voice, your word to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the story of the proud parents who attended their daughter's college graduation ceremony at Yale. The crowd was large. It was a blistering hot day. Trying to be memorable, the commencement speaker took each of the four letters for the word Yale and spoke for a full 30 minutes about each one. For why he spoke about the importance of saying yes to the challenges that would be ahead. For A, he spoke about the adventures that their lives would, would include, and so on. For over two hours, he spoke. And the ceremony finally concluded, and they found their daughter and embraced her and congratulated her. The father looked at his daughter and with love in his eyes said, Dear, we are so grateful that you opted not to attend the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> I love attending graduation ceremonies, whatever the grade level, however short or long those speeches might be. This past week, I attended a middle school graduation. It was a joy to be there. And so often at those kind of moments, a common theme that the speakers will touch on is this. Follow your dreams. The world is before you. There's nothing but your own hard work and imagination that is required. There's nothing you can't do. Follow your dreams. And we love those speeches, don't we? I do. We love those moments. Yet this morning's scripture in Matthew's gospel points us to a distinctly different path. The difference may sound like a subtle nuance, but it's anything but subtle. What this morning's passage is calling us to is to follow God's dream for our life, God's dream. Some of you have heard the story of the experience that I had on my first ever senior high main work camp the summer after I graduated from Ridge High School many years ago. Prior to that experience, I was following my dreams. I was heading down the path, my hard work and my creativity was pointing me toward. And then in the midst of those nine days in Maine, unexpectedly living in the basement of a small church, gathering for devotions in their very small sanctuary each evening and working on the homes of families in need each day, 
on the rooftop of one of those homes toward the end of the week, it became so clear to me what I wanted to do instead. Follow God's dream for my life. Follow God's deepest desire. And it was a pivotal moment. Among many points of discovery, many moments of decision on my journey, it is perhaps the most important one of all. And so much of it was about simply asking a different question. The question was no longer, what do I want to do with my life? The question became, what does God want me to do with my life? What is God's desire for my life? That I might bring God delight and glory by the manner in which I live it. Now, this morning's text provides a succinct summary of Jesus' ministry up to this point and describes the moment of the commissioning of the 12 disciples. It's sometimes referred to as the missionary discourse, where Jesus sends them out to serve the harassed and the helpless. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is no lack of need in our world. There is no lack of people in need of hearing about and experiencing God's transforming love. But there are nowhere near enough people interested in setting aside their own goals and priorities, their own dreams, and being bearers of that love. I love how Cleo LaRue, a preaching professor and scholar at Princeton Seminary, interprets this passage. He says it's vitally important that we see ourselves as people sent by God, not people who are self-appointed, because the harvest is God's harvest, and God is its Lord. Do you see the difference in the ways that you serve God in your life? Do you perceive yourself as someone sent by God? Or do you perceive yourself as someone self-appointed? The original 12 are sent out to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, not at their own initiative, not because they decided one day that it would be a meaningful way to spend the rest of their earthly lives, though it of course will be a meaningful way to spend their lives. They are going because God calls them to go. It is God's deepest desire that they go. And so it is for us. Jesus is saying, see yourselves in that same light. See yourselves not as self-appointed, but as those sent by God. See yourselves as those bringing in God's harvest, not your harvest. And if we do that, I promise you that when the going gets rough, the work gets hard, the doubt comes along or resistance is experienced that will make all the difference. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
The sending forth that really matters can come only from God. Help wanted, yes. Now hiring, yes. But God wants there to be no doubt about the origin of the employment. The world cries out for those who are willing and prepared to share the good news of the gospel, the good news that this is God's world. And in spite of all evidence to the contrary, one day it will conform to God's will and to God's way. We are partners with God and may our most ardent prayers be for more workers to join us in this great calling. More workers who are excited about seeking God's desire, not simply their own. And there's one more point in this passage that we would do well not to miss, and it's this. Even when we follow God's dream for our life, God's deepest desire, whatever that desire may be, we will not always be a success. There will be moments when we stumble or fall or fail. What then? How are we to navigate moments such as those? In verse 14, Jesus says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. In verse 23, he says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. He does not say, if they persecute you, if trouble or failure or disappointment comes. He says, when those things happen, because they will. Jesus knows right from the start that we won't always get it right. We won't always be perfect. Sometimes as his beloved children, his disciples, we will fail. I think of Peter who said at the Last Supper that he would never deny Christ. He would never fail in that way. And within a few short hours, three times, he denied that he had ever known Jesus. And when the cock crowed, Scripture tells us that, Jesus, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. And what a sad tale it would be if that was all we knew of Peter. But it's not. For later, Jesus would say to Peter, not once, but three times, feed my sheep. In effect, Jesus told Peter to turn his back on his failure and to face a, a new future. I think of Nathan's great confrontation with David, who has sinned grievously and is exposed. Yet this is not the end for David. For he repents, he turns, he learns from his failure and is remembered today as the greatest king Israel ever had. Failure was hardly the last word for him. And I think of that woman caught in the act of adultery. Interesting that we never hear too much about the other person who she was with when she committed that act of adultery. But I think of that moment and how Jesus said to the crowd as they were about to stone her, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and in a moment of self-awareness, one after the other, they all dropped their stones. 
and how Jesus said to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so I wonder, are you letting some failure in your life define you? Are you letting it hold you captive in the past instead of embracing the future that God intends for you, that God is calling you to? When you fail, and you have and you will, it only means that you are alive and are human and are not perfect. When you fail, it does not mean that you will never make it. It means that it will take you longer than you thought, or you will travel a route a little bit different than the one you expected. And I close with this. During the American Civil War, a young man named Roswell McIntyre was drafted into the New York Cavalry. The war was not going well. Soldiers were needed so desperately that he was sent into battle with very little training. Roswell became frightened. He panicked in the heat of battle, and he ran. He was later court-martialed and condemned to be shot for desertion. McIntyre's mother appealed to President Lincoln. She pleaded that he was young and inexperienced and that he needed a second chance. The generals, however, urged the president to enforce discipline. Exceptions, they asserted, would undermine the discipline of an already beleaguered army. Lincoln thought and prayed, and then he wrote a famous statement. I have observed, he said, that it never does a boy much good to shoot him. He then wrote the following letter in his own handwriting. This letter will certify that Roswell McIntyre is to be readmitted into the New York Cavalry. When he serves out his required enlistment, he will be freed of any charges of desertion. And that faded letter signed by the president is on display in the Library of Congress. Beside it, there is a note which reads, this letter was taken from the body of Roswell McIntyre, who died at the Battle of Little Five Forks, Virginia. Given another chance, McIntyre fought until the end. Friends, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Will you be among those who answer God's call and work in his vineyard, giving compassion to the harassed and the helpless, giving hope to the forgotten or to those who deem themselves as being without worth? What is God's desire for your life? Not your deepest desire, but God's. And will you say yes to that? And as you respond to God's desire, remember, sometimes you will fail. Expect it. And when that happens, even to you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Do not let it 
define you. Do not let your failure hold you captive in the past. For you are among those sent by God. You are among those called to bring in God's great harvest.